Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. Uh, in this episode of Metal Movers, we're talking about the titanium market. From sponge to ingots and uh, ferrotite to scrap, uh, it's fair to say this sector has been through a turbulent few years. COVID-19 caused huge disruptions to the aerospace industry, without which the titanium market lost not only a major consumer, but also a lot of scrap supply. And more recently, of course, titanium has been severely impacted by the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which ruptured Europe's ferro-titanium trade flows and has pushed Western end users to try and remove titanium from their supply chains, some more successfully than others. My name is Elie Sakdavala, Senior Editor for Non-Ferrous Metals at Argus Media, and I'm joined today by two of our titanium reporters, Samuel Wood, who's based in London, and Nick Bell, who's dialing in from the US. Sam and Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, Ellie. Appreciate it. Um, I wonder if we could start by reviewing the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict on supply chains and prices. We're just over a year in. Uh, can I ask, what are the main changes that you've seen? And has the titanium complex, the ferro-titanium complex, now settled into any kind of new normal? I can take this. I think it's as far as structural changes, like first and foremost, you know, huge aerospace companies are reducing their exposure to Russian origin, titanium products and feedstock. I just want to reiterate that. I know those actively involved, that's kind of the talking point, but, you know, just for those maybe further downstream. But more specifically, an impact is um, large OEMs. They're, they're piecing together a patchwork of, of kind of lower tier suppliers because the titanium market in Russia was and is um, pretty integrated. I think that's one of a couple of reasons why the supply chain is frequently cited when people question why aircraft production hasn't ramped up even more than it already has. The titanium industry, as as it relates to aerospace, was already realigning itself from a disarray stemming from the, the 737 MAX grounding, especially in the U.S., and the COVID-19 impact on just air travel outlook. I wouldn't say the complex has settled into a new normal just yet. Obviously, you have initiatives in place that have been a direct response to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's not the same market it was a year ago, but even now you're just starting to see some trends emerge as a result. The aerospace shifts I kind of touched upon, but with ferroties specifically, you have Russian producers that are facing, you know, scrap tightness and, and kind of elevated input costs, which, um, mostly kind of an issue for, you know, UK and European uh, producers in the, the aftermath of the conflicts outbreak. As it relates for me to the North American ferrotime market, that's that's just one more grade that's losing a, a, its competitive edge regarding import offers. It's still much cheaper than locally produced ferrotie or, or, you know, UK imports, which have become a little more prevalent in the, in the North American market recently. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is North American suppliers have a little more room to, to test higher offers without having to consider whether consumers are, are going to fetch lower offers for Russian material, um, especially if delivery times are longer to import the stuff or um, consumers, you know, if they need raw material or strict chemical specifications. Um, yeah, I know that's long-winded. I'll let Sam kind of bolster that. Sure, I'll, uh, I'll jump in. Uh, I think certainly there are a few sort of components to this uh, in terms of sort of actual restrictions, sanctions, etc. It's fairly limited. Of course, the US and the UK have implemented additional tariffs, um, but it's business as usual as far as the European Union is concerned. 
A lot of steel mills have publicly self-sanctioned against Russian ferrotire, but there is variable stringency enforcing this. As to the Russian exports, the volumes exported across the titanium product range have dropped quite significantly through a combo of reduced buy-side demand in Europe and the US and elsewhere, but also increased internal demand for raw materials and milled products. As Nick was saying, there is an increased tightness on scrap in Russia at the moment. Um, so yeah, to go off what Nick said, I think it's more of a case of several new normals emerging rather than a new normal, I think is probably the best way to put that. Certainly, I think in the immediate wake um, of the uh, of the of the Russia conflict, um, we saw a flare up in interest in Japanese sponge. A lot of people wondering whether, if Western end juicers couldn't take Russian, we might see a bit more focus globally on Japan. Um, what place does Japanese sponge currently have in the global market? Has its position changed? Are you seeing any more shifts toward Japan? Certainly, yes. Japan has attracted increased interest, but there is only so much that they can fulfil this. Export-wise, Japan shipped 34,500 tonnes last year, which is up a notch from last the year before that, 2021, and significantly higher than the preceding 10 to 15 years. Of that, 70 to 80% is going straight to the US aerospace kind of conglomerate. 10% or so is going to the UK, and the rest is picked up by China, Netherlands, and some others. So its importance really can't be understated. If you look at Japan's market share in 2022, this is purely on an export basis, it was around 50%, and even higher, 56 57% if you're including Toho's joint venture in Saudi Arabia. By way of comparison, pre-pandemic, this was somewhere in the region of 30%, so that's like a 20 percentage point increase in the space of three years, predominantly with most of that increase coming post-pandemic and and uh, post-conflict. The Saudi plan, well up and running, is still undergoing a sort of learning curve as they strive for aerospace-grade production. So this is one to watch in the coming months and years as it kind of emerges more in this space. Uh, Nick, I'd say if you want to pick up here, I'd say 70 to 80% of Japan's material is going to the US. So what are you seeing on your side? Yeah, I think um, globally, like, yeah, you touched upon it like uh really well um i don't know in the u.s market you know the u.s has historically always been pretty beholden to japanese sponge producers um i guess specifically you know you had the last like operating sponge plant in the u.s shut down during the pandemic um and and i guess in terms of trade flows normalizing um you would think whatever the capacity utilization of that sponge plant um was operating at that it would be made up in imports and and imports have you know they've reached pre-pandemic levels but they haven't surpassed them for the you know 13,000 tons per year of capacity that was lost um in terms of sponge production in the US um so yeah their 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 position can't be understated i think it, you know they they also don't necessarily have the capacity to make up for a, a, a loss of producers, you know, elsewhere providing what, you know, we historically referred to as, as Western countries um, with sponge, like, like possibly Russia or Ukraine or, um, you know, so I, I think there is capacity constraints. I think it, like the global implications will come from just how much the Japanese producers are, are, are beholden to uh, U S consumers. Um, 
in the in the intermediate term. Um, so yeah, over overall, you know, it's it's only gotten more dire as far as how much the U.S. relies on it. Um, I think you know, in a gross volume terms, uh, there um, it hasn't exactly normalized to a new trade flow, but uh, you know, on a per capita basis, uh, our reliance pretty much the same. I wonder if we can drill a little bit further into the recovery of the aerospace industry. You've both uh, referenced it so far in the conversation. Um, there have been quite a few reports recently uh, raising warnings about a mismatch between orders coming in for new aircrafts uh, versus the actual speed at which metal supply chains um, are able to deliver the metals needed. Uh, where are we at with the recovery of the aerospace industry? And is there enough titanium supply coming through the chain this year to keep up? Um, I think where we're at, I think I think we're in the middle of it for sure. Um, I you know there's been titanium producers who have noted lead times for for their products. Um, you know that a couple of quarters ago was only two months out. Um, but as it stands today, are are out a year or even even more and um that's that's definitely a bellwether for what demand looks like um some customers that buy thai products from the major producers in the u.s have set up contracts that will last um throughout 2024 um and if you exclude wide body aircraft production and and deliveries um almost any operational metric you could pull from aircraft manufacturers um to airframe builders um, or titanium and alloy producers, as it relates to this discussion, has have all markedly improved from just a year ago. Um, Pre-pandemic levels are a little more elusive, um, but a lot of those metrics are back or very close to those levels as well. Um, but I think the the antithesis to that um, is that there are supply chain issues throughout the industry, and that's also something uh, you could pull from whatever material is available from those same producers. Um, I think the overarching narrative in terms of issues in the supply chain is um, that there are issues delivering engine builds, um, which historically that subsector's demand is hinted at by how strong business is uh, among forgers. And and once those kinks are, are worked out and the jet engine supply chain, airframe demand or you know, or potential supply issues with airframes, uh, I think they'll be dealt with next and then followed by more niche products like fasteners. Um, now, in, in regards to whether or not the titanium supply will keep up this year, it's, it's hard to say because it's not exactly readily available information. But um, I, I would say you have a lot of capacity expansion initiatives underway among titanium producers, at least in the U.S., um, which I don't think those companies would invest in those unless they thought they could utilize it, which makes me think that they believe they'll be able to reach an optimal capacity with their existing assets in operation already. Um, and I think the offsetting trend to that is you, you do have large aerospace companies that think titanium could be, you know, in tight supply in the intermediate term, which is really only been anecdotally insinuated by growth trends like emerging markets, um, specifically China, and the eventual, you know, recovery of wide-body, you know, aircraft production. Um, but if you were asking my personal opinion, I'd say, yeah, it'll it, it'll keep up. That, that doesn't mean prices won't climb higher as a result, but 
even then there's there's surcharges in place among Thai producers, you know, contracts that they're able to pass through largely. Uh, if I just pick up on that, yeah, I think the, the landscape is pretty mixed. There are ambitious ramp-ups by aircraft manufacturers that might not be attainable if the OEMs can't get the relevant parts supplied to them and manufacturers can't access the necessary raw materials. I mean, for sure, as sort of uh, Nick was saying, titanium may well be able to keep up, but uh, all the time that you've got Russian supply increasingly becoming a how do you refer to it, sort of an outsider to a lot of Western markets, that's going to have an impact. Um, on the supply chain side, data from the New York Fed suggests that supply chain pressures are dropping back to pre-2020 levels. This indicates that pandemic-derived bottlenecks may well be in the sort of not-too-distant past, but distortions caused by the Russia-Ukraine conflict are still very fresh and in certain cases hampering access to critical materials, not least titanium, but also just a range of other high-temp materials that are critical to the aerospace industry. Wage pressures, labour shortages, inflation, these are all going to be considerations as well. Uh, Airbus and Boeing executives have both come out and said that aerospace suppliers may well be the limiting factor this year. I mean, if you look at the, the kind of the consumer demand, the air traffic is it's picking up. There was a fairly healthy recovery in 2022. It was sort of mid 60 to 70 percent of pre-pandemic traffic, and through the course of 2023, this is expected to reach 85 and a half percent of pre-pandemic levels. So we're getting there. And this forecast doesn't even take into account demand for military aerospace applications, which is inevitably going to increase this year. So I think, yes. The demand is certainly there. We're seeing huge orders from airliners to Boeing and Airbus, etc. But as you said, Ellie, there does seem to be some kind of disconnect between orders on aircraft and the ability to actually deliver them. I'd like to zoom in a bit on the uh, the scrap side of things. I mean, when um, COVID lockdowns began and global uh, aviation fleets were grounded, uh, aerospace manufacturing came close to a full halt, we obviously saw uh, a huge squeeze on supply of titanium scrap, which then filtered through and caused some very dramatic price movements uh, in ferrotitanium. Um, I'd like to just touch base on that. Where are we at now? Is global titanium scrap generation in sync with demand nowadays? I can take this or, or start off on this one. I, 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 think, I think recently it's coming is into sync. I don't know how much more to add to that. I, it's, I think generation rates dropped off drastically during the pandemic and, and they're still relatively low, um, and have room to increase. Um, but I think the, the ramp up in aerospace production, which is still kind of largely impeded by supply chain issues, um, it also has room to increase too. Um, so if you, if you were to look at pricing history, it, it looked like it's not synced up. Um, but because you know you have these these kind of historically um you know unprecedented prices not completely unprecedented but you know not very common um but you know i think you have this sharp ramp up in production which follows a sharp downturn in generation but that's that's in an environment where the scrap supply you know is and was ever increasing given the the average by Y ratios of a lot of these products. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it, it's always in a sort of precarious balance. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything 
anything you want to add to that, Sam? Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, if aerospace manufacturing is indeed ramping up, we should see increased supply of titanium scrap through increased generation this year. But if a lot of this is being reverted for vacuum applications, vacuum remelt, other end sectors may still be left wanting even if generation picks up. I mean, zooming in on kind of uh, scrap going to the ferrotitanium market, throughout sort of Q3, Q4 last year, a lot of ferrotite producers were curtailing production and reined in raw material procurement, which did see prices come off quite substantially after sort of flying up through the conflict. As of late Q4, merchants sort of thought, well, prices need to come up. And then when this met renewed demand for Veritai in Q1, it actually saw a bit of a rally on prices. So now we're sort of well above $2 pound. And this is a similar level to which prices stabilized in late 2021 after that squeeze in, in, in the uh, pandemic years you mentioned, Ellie. And I think for the near term, we're likely to stabilize here as Veritai prices, scrap prices find a level in Europe. But uh, yeah, if, if there is increased revert to the aerospace industry, other end sectors may still be left wanting. Just continuing on that thread, Sam, you mentioned ferrotite prices. Um, we've seen a bit more buying activity uh, in the first quarter for ferrotitanium, a few steel makers coming back in um, earlier, this, uh, earlier this year and some price increases uh, that came with that. Can I ask both of you, uh, what's your take on the uh, market today, the ferrotitanium market? And can you share any thoughts uh, on what might shape it uh, as we move toward the second quarter? Well, ferrotitanium is an interesting one. I mean, three to four months ago, the outlook was really quite bleak. Ask anyone in the market, Q1, it's not looking good. And now there's actually some cause for cautious optimism. In Europe, as you said, the requested volumes on tenders launched for delivery in Q2 were actually a lot higher than expected. And that did sort of kick some support back into the market. Now, it's a bit of a wait-and-see game. Yes, Q1 was better, but there isn't really a guarantee for Q2 or the second half of the year, given all the other economic headwinds in play. Is it a blip or a sign of better things to come? Sort of, who knows? Uh, the Russian situation remains quite complex. As we could expect, imports from Russia declined last year, March to September, but thereafter they do seem to have picked up and kind of were teetering around the 1,000 ton per month mark which sort of, it's not pre-conflict levels, but it does seem to be finding a new level, certainly higher than the six, 700 tonnes, which we saw in sort of Q2, Q3. So I think that could impact prices in the near term and then sort of the medium term, depending how European producers react to energy costs, demand, etc. The means by which this Russian material is coming into Europe, though, has shifted from historical standards. It's gone from Rotterdam to Latvia and Sweden, and now we're also seeing increased volumes channeled through Estonia as Russian suppliers are grappling with logistical constraints. So that's uh, that's also something to watch out for. Yeah, Sam covered that well globally, and I, I think Europe is a you know a, a just a more dynamic market in in terms of liquidity and and just like a lot of you know prevalent factors. But I guess in in regards to like North the North American market, which is you know what I'd typically cover. I think like a recent question in the market is when North American consumers are going to have to relent to the arbitrage between consumer prices here and what people are able to offer in Europe or the UK. 
it's kind of it's kind of a nebulous term, but demand has been mostly steady for a while now. Um, there's the ongoing automotive production recovery, which frankly feels like it's being pushed out further and further every quarter. And these recent price increases in North America really kind of just been supply driven. But let's just say that demand remains at what market participants call stable. There can be as much as almost a dollar per pound spread between what consumers pay locally and what producers across the Atlantic will pay a processor dealer here. So I think the concern for titanium consumers is almost the opposite of what it was two years ago. Back back then you had otherwise air grade material being sacrificed, as you know the colloquial term is, into the ferrotype market. And uh, alloy producers were concerned that when they returned to the market, they'd return to a very tight scrap market when they began to ramp up, while ferrotype producers were flush with you know high quality scrap. And now you have air grade scrap that isn't being sold to ferrotype producers in mass and the ferrous grade tie scrap that is being generated or was formerly, you know, in inventory is being exported out of the local market. And all that being said, it's it's easy to look at price indexes and think, well, if if the price is such and such delivered to the UK or Rotterdam, you know, dealers or processors will just send their material there and rebuff drastically lower bids received here. And I mean, the reality is a lot of dealers or processors, they, they don't have the staffing for like a back office that handles logistics or are close to a port or even just know people, you know, at producers, you know, that work for producers abroad. So it's not really in their wheelhouse to play the export market, so to speak. So so while I think that's a welcome narrative from sellers, like the reality is a little more nuanced. So once ferrotype producers' needs are, are dire enough to kind of relent to higher scrap price, prices, uh, I think you'll see the market move up if those same scrap prices and alloy prices are firm abroad. Yeah, it was a bit long-winded. That we have some, some cautious expectations of price increases um, in the near term, but I think if this uh, past few years have taught us anything, um, it's that you can never really predict these markets. And uh, I certainly think the titanium complex, um, you know, could be in store for more volatility uh, as we move forward. Um, I realise we're fresh out of time, so I'm going to have to thank you both very much for joining us today. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do tune in to our other episodes to learn more about the metals markets. Uh, and for more information about titanium and other aerospace metals, please visit argusmedia.com. Mm-hmm.